Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 133 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Buongiorno. Hello, everyone. Piranesi. Welcome to our Piran episode. Ooh. Whoa, that's good. Did, wait, did we not say that before? I thought we were calling it that. I said Piran next episode last time. Piran next episode. You sound like Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's appropriate. <laughs> we don't have a, a, a special Halloween episodes this year, so you know what? Surprise! This is the Halloween episode. Ooh, that's true. It's a scary surprise. Creepy. Buongiorno. <laughs> Did no one prepare anything to talk about? No, I have okay. some topics. Because <laughs> I didn't. I'm bad. All right. So I have some big news. We've been reading books to our daughter, Maggie. And this is not news. You talk about it every time. Well, okay. But I don't think I told you guys this. We read her T.S. Eliot's Opossum's Book of Practical Cats, hmm. a.k.a. the cats lyrics. A.k.a. the novelization of the future musical cats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing if that was his original title for it? By Taylor Swift. <laughs> And she was into it. Like mm. the other books, like right now I'm reading her my Greek myths book, which is my favorite book. And she literally kicks it. She's like, no, pass. This one, she giggles and like makes sounds along with it as I talked. I just this- want her first words to be hard pass. <laughs> I think they're going to be magical Mr. Mistopheles because she <laughs> loves that one. Dude, if she can enunciate <laughs> that, I don't think I could repeat that right now. So that's big news for everyone. She's going to be a big cat stan. That's pretty great. And so you've, you've read her the T.S. Eliot's cat book and the myth book. Is there anything you're saving up? Like, is there anything in the back chamber where you're like, I'm going to wait to see what she thinks of this one? Are you holding on to the wasteland? (laughs) (laughs) Let us go then, you and I. No, I have been kind of doing all the greatest hits now with worry that they won't hold up as well as they do in my head. So now I can kind of screen them. Yeah. Okay. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And also, speaking of reading her stuff that you won't understand, um, I'm reading her slowly. I bought this, um, if you know the Best American Short Story collections. Yeah. Oh, my God. But I'm going to take a pause here. Dylan has been obsessed with the best American short story collections since we were in high school. Yeah. He's always trying to get me to read these best American short story collections. He buys them every year. He's the only person I know who's so obsessed about them. Well, you know what's cute? What? When we got married. Maggie likes (laughs) short stories. I had some that he didn't have. And when we got married, we combined them on our shelf. I never knew that. That is very sweet because this guy has not shut up about the best American short stories (laughs) since he was like 14 years old. Now I have the best 40 new fairy tales. Uh, <laughs> it's called My Mother She Killed Me My Father He Ate Me <laughs> and you've been reading this to Maggie and it's by Kate Bernheimer but it has like a lot of our favorite authors of Amy Bender Neil Gaiman Shelley Jackson and of course Joyce Carol Oates Ooh, I've already read a few of these short stories by Jonathan Keats and Joy Williams and I'm kind of glad I did because these stories are dark <laughs> Yeah, basically, like, as soon as she starts to actually understand them, you're, like, filing this book away. I thought these were very, like, these were going to be, oh, these are going to be cool, like, authors writing, like, children's stories. Like, no, it's authors deconstructing fairy tales and proving, like, why they're wrong and everything. Yeah, well, what about the title really made you think that they were going to be (laughs) Yeah, and there's a paragraph at the end of each one, except for Joyce Carol Oates, who writes, like, a dissertation on her short story about, like, these are the fairy tales I referenced, and this is how the structure works. It's like, okay. Hmm. Good for her. Go JCL. It's never too early for Joyous Kill Oats to yell at you. <laughs> I'll just let you guys know something that's going on in my personal life. It's very trying. Y'all, street books are back. <gasps> they're back with a vengeance. I know. Like, I- they're back more than I've ever seen them before. They are everywhere, and it is dumb how 
magnetizing they are to me. I, I have not rummaged around in any street book boxes. Really? No. What it's restraint? It's a, it's, a, it's a pandemic. I'm pretty sure Fauci has said something very specific, <laughs> but like, please, how do you do his voice? Like, please do not, whatever you do, don't pick up books off the street. It sounds a little bit like Christian Slater. Yeah. <laughs> um, somebody's putting them out there. Well, I walked past a big box of books and was excited, and I just peeked in and it said, the white pages of Oahu. Like, <laughs> Like, as in a list of telephone numbers. Yeah, that's, that's not a Joyce Carol Oates book. That's a- <laughs> there were drugs inside that book. There must have been. <laughs> I should have looked into it. So, Andrew, uh, before we get into our Pure and Escapades. Pure and Episode. Pure and Extravaganza episode. <laughs> okay. Um, did you want to talk at all about Jonathan Strange? I know that you attempted to read it, but then were derailed by your sister. Well, I'm really liking it. I'm about halfway through, uh, maybe a little more than halfway through now. It, it's in three large sections, um, and I finished the first two sections. I'm really liking it, but yeah, we didn't think ahead to the fact that I was going to be editing this episode, mm. and so because we're going to have a spoiler section later on, it would be problematic if I wanted to at any point enjoy Piranesi and <laughs> edit this podcast to not have read it. So we made a we made a pivot. You're gonna be. I'm sorry. You're gonna be Piran editing. Oh my god. <laughs> but yeah, I'm really liking it. I'm going to keep reading it. I'll, I'm going to try to finish it before I start Luster, which is what I'll be reviewing on the next episode. But yeah. I've already finished Luster. Toby, you got a lot of free time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Piranesi was my like book for the month, and I, you know, it's 200 True. pages. Really fast. Uh, Andrew, I'm really, I'll do just a little bit of teasing. I'm really interested to see what you think of Luster. Ooh. As I'm sure everyone is. It's going to be exciting. I know nothing about it, so I don't know whether you're trying to see doubt into my head, whether there's a big weird thing, or if you're just an, a troll. <laughs> he is a troll. After you brought it up, Andrew, I keep seeing it around on like top mm-hmm. 10 lists and things. So interesting. All right, guys, we're transitioning now. This is going to Come be- on, de- de- deploy that catchphrase. Okay, so check it. Check it. <laughs> this is pretty crazy, guys. This is the first time it's happened. All four of us have read the book this week, including Dylan, the sound recorder. And I can't even read. Good job, Dylan. Um, so that combined with the fact, tell me if you agree, guys, I believe that this book is best enjoyed if you know nothing going in. Absolutely. Yep. 100% yep. agree. Yes. Do you think so, Andrew? I like, I think you should know the ending. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should know all the characters and what happens to them. And then you can read it. <laughs> So we're going to do things. I'm not done. And then (laughs) you should know the font. (laughs) All right. So we're going to do things a little differently today. If you care about Piranesi and don't want spoilers, we're going to start now with our star ratings. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Whoa. (laughs) Then uh, we're going to do the game and then we're going to do the choosing. So if you're a regular listener and care about Piranesi and want to read it, you can stop there, come back in a few months or whatever when you've finished the book and finished the episode. Otherwise... You can continue listening, but there spoilers. be spoilers. Spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. Look out. Once that choosing's done, we're saying all kinds of stuff. We're going to mess with your heads. Yeah, as soon as the books get chosen, I'm just going to scream spoilers. <laughs> it's going to be very grating. Um, okay, so this is a tease, too. Let's all this say, is turning into a weird teasing podcast. I love it. I don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all say our star rating. Okay. okay. Everybody think of their star rating in their head. Okay. I go first. I got it. Okay. I got it too. I go first. Five. Stars? Yes. Okay. Four. 4.5. No. 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 Dylan. No, no. <laughs> Dylan. Uh, I'd actually give it five. Andrew? 
I also gave it five <gasps> stars. Toby, I'm, get out! I'm the only four star. Interesting. If you want to find out why. In some ways, that means you're deficient. <laughs> oh. You have one fewer star than us. Vitamin S deficient. So it's very clear that we really like this book. So we Vitamin recommend star. it. Yes. Now let's move into Check It. So Andrew, you're going to take us on a game journey, my, is my understanding, that we can do spoiler free. Yes, exactly. I will say the game was slightly inspired by the events of the book, but it is in no way spoilery and it does not in any way deal with the happenings of the book. So listen with a clear head and just so you know why we're not doing a formal like fact section and things like that. Uh, we have already covered Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell and thus Susanna Clark's bio in that episode, which is episode four. So check back there for more details about her life. I will just give you the uh, highlights is that she was born in 1959 in England. Uh, she has published only two novels with a large gap in between uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell and now Piranesi. 16 years, I think. Yes, 16 year separation. There's also a book of short stories, which are some of her previous published works and people really like her i will also say piranesi has received pretty much universally excellent reviews upon its release there is one more thing that i think is interesting and only because i think it bears on the creation of this book which is um she has been diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome right so she came out with this gigantic 800 page plus jonathan strange and mr norrell and then the gap of 16 years and honestly i don't know if it's the same for you guys but i was thinking a lot when i read this book about her having chronic fatigue syndrome and she said it's why she can't produce as much work and i wondered how it affected this book but we can get into that in our full review tease 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 <laughs> all right so now pivoting to the game so this week you guys are doing something a little different it's inspired by some of the more role-playing games we did when toby was alone Ooh. um on the podcast y'all are working together this week no i don't want to uh, oh. No, yes, I'm excited. I was celebrating. <laughs> Toby's excited. Bailey's not. We'll see how that dynamic plays in the game. <laughs> There's no name this week. Oh, no Ooh. name for the game. You wake up on the cold floor of a very large room. There's very little light fl filtering in from the windows in the very, very high ceilings. There are statues standing all around of varying heights and shapes, more than you can count. As you stand up and get your bearings, you notice something written on the on the floor in chalk. You get closer and realize there are two messages. The first reads, the way out is in your memory. Find the statues. The second reads, what is George Eliot's childhood home today? You look around. There are so many statues. It could be anything. It seems like literally anything in the world is here in statue form. So here's the deal. You look for statues together. If you are completely stuck, I will give you three choices. You need to find five correct answers to leave the labyrinth, which is where you're stuck. It's the setting of Piranesi, but none of the plot. And um, if you answer a question without needing the choices, it counts as two correct answers. Um, if you get three incorrect, the way out is no longer possible. Got it. This cool. is slightly less slightly less terrifying and violent than the one where what was happening i was stepping in bear traps yeah <laughs> you're stepping in bear traps because you didn't know trees that's right so the questions you'll be answering as you might have guessed are you trying to remember facts i've already told you about some of our other authors on the podcast mm -hmm. okay i tried to pick ones that'll stick in your mind mm -hmm. um and we'll see Okay. All right. So, yes, George Eliot, what is her childhood home today? I hope the next question is, how naked was Victor Hugo? Very. Wasn't it like a, I don't know. My I'm head, thinking pub or... I was thinking factory, but I don't know why. I would go with pub. That makes sense. You have you have the option to ask for, for choices, um, but it just means that... Okay. What are the choices? I, I, address, I address the room in a booming voice. What are my choices? 
A steakhouse, a library, or a casino? Steakhouse. steakhouse. <laughs> we, we, we head towards the statue of the steakhouse. You walk towards the statue of a man with a very full belly looking at another 20-ounce steak with a sign that says, finish it all and it's free. And written on that statue, you see another question. You are correct. It is Steakhouse. Yay! Congratulations. Um, But your next question starts now. What possession of Margaret Atwood did her roommates burn when she was studying at Harvard? Okay, we can always ask for the choices, but... Possession possession. of hers. Was it a book? It was like a journal. Or maybe some article of clothing. It doesn't ring a bell. I think I'm going to need the options. Options, please. Options, please. I, I wait, I address the room again. Sorry to do this again, but could you give me some choices? The room answers in a booming voice. That's ah. totally fine. You always have this option. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, room. <laughs> the choices are again, if, and in case anyone's getting worried, this is in no way Piranesi spoilery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the part of Piranesi when he yells at the, <laughs> the, the labyrinth. Um, the options are her diary, her shoes, her typewriter. I don't mm. think you can burn a typewriter. Well, you could set fire to it. You can burn anything if you set your mind to it. I think it might I'm be shoes. shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Shoes. We we head toward the statue of some Nikes. Some nice Nikes. <laughs> um, you have chosen again correctly. You yes. walk up to a statue of burning shoes, um, burning Nikes. Interesting. And you have answered correctly. Wasn't it Michelangelo who said all that he does is cut away all the parts that aren't the burning Nikes? <laughs> yes. Indeed he did. And then he did an ollie on his skateboard and <laughs> shoplifted a milkshake. Um, the next question reads as such. What extracurricular activity did Sally Rooney excel at at university? Uh, speech and debate, I believe. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll go with it. Let's take a risk. Why Why the? Why is the one that I'm sure of the one we're taking a risk well, on? All right. I want to cut because. myself in half, and the Bailey half of me plays the... No, I'm just kidding. No. But I'm pretty sure it's speech and debate. Okay. Dear room... <laughs> This might be awkward after we establish that it's okay to ask for choices, but this time we don't want any. Uh-uh. No. The, the room yells back, it's totally fine. You have a better chance of getting enough correct answers if you answer without the choices, so it's totally fine. I'm tuning you out. Yeah, just tell me if I got it right. <laughs> don't You don't need to editorialize. I'm sorry. Who could trap you here forever? <laughs> okay, wow. Passive-aggressive, giant room. <laughs> I'm just trying to, like, remind you of, like, you know, the entire situation you're in. I, lo- I look for the statue of speech and debate. You are correct yet again. Good mm. job. Sally Rooney uh, won a European championship as in her university debating team. All right. The next question is written in real strange handwriting. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's like half um, print and half cursive. It's about Thomas Pynchon. Ooh. What band named their fan site Waste after the postal service in The Crying of Lot 49? Isn't it Radiohead? Yes, I believe you're right. I think it is. Let the record show that if you get this correct without choices, you win. We look for the statue of Tom York. You make your way towards the statue of Sad Sad Tom York. And it is correct. You guys yes. have escaped the maze. There's not just an extraneous statue of Tom York they had to screw with us. <laughs> well, there were also statues of, of Sonic Youth and the Postal Service. Uh, okay, um, yeah. But you didn't go there and get caught in the trap. I think those come standard with your with your scary giant rooms. Right. Uh, Tom York's just chilling out here. This is his house. So we live. We survive. <laughs> Congrats, you made it out. Welcome back to the world. Don't go getting in lo- getting lost in a maze again, you idiot. I'll do what I want. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, you guys rocked that game. I really thought you were gonna have a hard time with this. So well done. Before I like, as we exit, I want to stick my head back in and say, "Sorry, it got heated back there. That was fun. Uh, I'm a little worried that you can't leave this place, but hope you figure it out." And then I shut the door. I'm already gone. I'm fine. <laughs> Um, you guys did so well that I have a bunch of other questions already written. Do you want to try to remember them real fun? Yeah, yeah. But let's do no choices. And let's do it. Let's do it competing with each other. Okay. I go okay. first. Okay. okay. That's good because I have four answers. Okay. Bailey goes first. This is about Wally Lamb. Okay. Her book. What is Wally Lamb's favorite baseball team? Well, he's from Connecticut. I'm going to say Red Sox. That's correct. Yes. You would have gotten that one correct. Um, nice. Yeah. He pointedly says he's from the part of the part of Connecticut that supports the Red Sox, not the Yankees. J.R.R. Tolkien. This one's for Toby. That was your book. That's good. Uh-oh. J.R.R. Tolkien's real name is John Ronald Rule. Which name did he go by in his daily life? John Ronald Rule. I think he went by Ronald, right? That is correct. You guys yes. are rocking oh, Yes. In my, in my other ear that's not listening to you, Andrew, I'm just listening to all of our episodes at 10 times speed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who wants to take the Amy Bender? It was my book, so I could take it. Okay. Toby takes it. Okay. Actually, that, that works out that way. Where did Amy Bender do her writing for a time? She did all her writing in a weird place. There's Where did so she do many it? places. Oh. There's so many different places. I can't remember if this is the right one. Well, she was the one who sort of started the pattern of me looking for these weird answers. Okay, go with your gut. Go with your gut. I cannot. I. I I'm, this is not an answer yet. It's either in a closet or it's in a cupboard. I'm going to say closet. That is correct. Yes! Exactly correct. You guys, you guys give yourself so much guff about not remembering things, but you guys are rocking this game. All right, finally, Bailey, the answer is last, and I don't think you're going to get this one. I feel bad, but this is about Susanna Clark, our host today. Okay. And the question is, what is important to Susanna Clark in terms of a room to write in? There is a feature that she has. Well, she actually initially said, it's not that important to me. I, I could write anywhere. But then she goes to describe what she how she actually writes. And it turns out she can't really write anywhere. There's a very specific thing she likes. I, I mean, I think she likes either good light or like the sound of rain or something. Yeah, I think it wasn't in a window so she could yeah. hear the rain or something. Yeah, I'm going to just say good light. Why didn't you just say the sound of rain, which is exactly correct? Oh. Really, really impressive. Good, yeah, the, the full quote is something like, I can write anywhere, though I like it when it's raining and it has <laughs> lamplight. Sometimes I black out the windows and just put on a CD that says rain. That That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so congratulations, you made it out and you have much better memories than you give yourself credit can for. Can we say that we both made it out, but like I made it to the sandwich shop and Bailey got lost? This is rude. All right. Shall we pivot? Yes, let's pivot. But just so you guys know... If you're listening, there's no spoilers in that, but it gives you a kind of a sense of the setting slash world. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. Yes. I mean, it's. Uh, I usually consider stuff not to be spoilers that you could find out on the back jacket. Yes. And that's on the back that's jacket. That's on the back jacket. Okay. So now it's time for the choosing. The choosing. Dylan will choose books at random from my shelf and Toby's shelf. For Toby. It's good that you escaped that maze because now you're surrounded by buildings with number 13, The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. Ooh, I am very excited. Um, she is an amazing author. She's got, I think she just won a MacArthur Genius Grant. Uh, she's a big deal. Um, I have read number one of the Broken Earth trilogy, and I did not love it. Uh-oh. Um, so, but, I, but I've heard that that one can be harder to get through. Basically, I've heard Try Her Again. I really want to like this book. I hear so, it's great. I've been yeah. hearing about it a lot, so yeah. we'll see. So we'll see. And Bailey, it's yes. a good thing you got it out of the labyrinth. Okay. Because you would have ended up as uh, number 35, Ghost, <gasps> by Jason Reynolds. 
Awesome. Mm. This book, back in the day when I was super cool and watching on PBS, The Great American Read, the top 100 favorite books of America. Um, this was on the list and I'd never heard of it. And it was the most recent book on the list. And it's a YA book, the first in a series of four novels about track. Um, and this first one's called Ghost. And about like track and field? Mm-hmm. Like kids in high school that run track. Well, the book better go quickly then. Is the guy so fast he's a ghost? I, I mean, I don't know. I haven't read it yet. I think it's about Pac-Man. <laughs> but I'm excited. Okay, guys. Now is the time. If you care about Piranesi, which you should, because we all said we liked it. You saw how cool the setting was from our game. And you believe us, right? You believe us. Trustworthy. That's who we are. That's our middle name. Pause. Come back to this episode once you've read the book. Because now... Here be spoilers. Maze, maze, maze. That was actually well, well choreographed. Oh man. Okay. So, where do we start? I think I think I'd like you to start, Bailey. Just kick it off. Like you're the you're the leader. I just want to say first off, what what I was talking about in the beginning is very true, which is it's best to not know anything going in, and so. What I was worried about saying in the beginning was that the main character has lost his memory, which is like the main crux of the novel and at mm-hmm. the same time a spoiler. Mm-hmm. So, it's a hard book to do a logline for. Well, okay. So what we were talking about this before we started recording, which is bad because this is podcast gold. But what I loved about the book, there's so Guys, much- you have no idea how many times Bailey just says, this is podcast gold whenever <laughs> we're talking now. I loved this book for a lot of reasons, which we're going to get into. But one of my favorite things is that it's a mystery. You want to keep reading because you want all the pieces to come together. But at a certain point, maybe like halfway through, I would say, you as the reader have figured it out. Mm -hmm. But Piranesi has not. And so it's about watching him figure it out. Mm -hmm. I mean, technically, he has figured it out before. That's true. Um, So that was one of my favorite things. What did you guys think about the mystery and the general setup? Um, Yeah, I mean... The mystery to me was super effective. I think to cover some basic ground, in case you're one of these crazy people who really hasn't read it and really wants to be oriented, um, the story begins with Piranesi. He's our narrator. He is writing in his journal diary, uh, addressing the reader directly and kind of talking to himself. He is an extremely affable, cheerful, optimistic, just very charming person who appears to be trapped in a gigantic house with thousands upon thousands of rooms with untold millions of statues that depict anything you can imagine. On the top level of the house, there are fog banks and clouds that drift around. On the bottom levels of the house, there's an ocean that moves with giant tides, could be very dangerous. And Piranesi appears to be the only person who's permanently in this house. He has a I would say that there are two people in the house. There's Piranesi and the other. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't see him very often, whereas Piranesi is always there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he sees the other only twice a week for a very specific meeting because he thinks the other is working through uh, his own projects and he can't be bothered because he keeps a very specific time. And the other does have a project. The other is looking for the, quote, great and secret secret knowledge. Okay. And he's making it very clear to Piranesi that Piranesi has to play along or they won't be friends. And that makes Piranesi very sad. <laughs> yeah, he's really... looking for a copy of Clive Barker's The Great and Secret Show, um, which is hidden somewhere in the... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, to address your question about the mystery, like it was so effective for me. I love this mysterious setting. I love that the kind of thing where you're kind of fed breadcrumbs and you are half a step ahead of Piranesi, but it's never irritating. Or I was never irritated with Piranesi. You were just kind of like, oh, come on. Yeah, I agree. Like I think the moment that 
really hooked me. I was into it, but it was confusing. I didn't understand like what kind of world this was. He's talking, it might even be like one of the second or third entry. He um, dates the entries like the third day and the fifth month of the year the albatross entered, entered the Northwestern halls. And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, this is some weird fantasy world. But then in a few entries later, he's like, I found my own journal and they just said 2002, which is weird. <laughs> That's weird, right? My way's better. And you're like, huh. Well, I think part of what draws me in about this book from the very beginning is just how good of a narrator Piranesi is. Like, he has a little bit of the, um, what's his name? Jack from Room. Mm-hmm. Um, or Innocence. Innocence and, like, coming at the world without complete understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and that quality is really good. But at the same time, Piranesi is not a child. He's a 35-year-old guy, you learn. And so he's also like super capable, but he just has an entirely different worldview than we would because he has an entire different world that he's dealing with. And so that was a, an easy hook. I mean, the chapter, if we're picking where I like knew I was in, mm-hmm. is I think it's the third or fourth entry that you get where he names the 15 other people who have existed in the world um, because he's found like 14 skeletons and so he knows that there are these other (laughs) he's found 13 skeletons so this is going to bother me so i just want to be clear so the entry that i was talking about is the next chapter and it's chapter called my journals so page 13 he says so far my journal has filled nine notebooks this is the 10th all are numbered and most are labeled with the dates to which they refer number one is labeled december 2011 to june 2012 number two is labeled june 2012 to November 2012. Number three three was originally labeled November 2012, but this has been crossed out at some point and relabeled 30th day in the 12th month in the year of weeping and wailing to the fourth day of the seventh month in the year I discovered the coral halls. So the idea is you get these hints, as you were saying, from the beginning, but then as you keep going, it gets more and more deep. And like that part is really memorable, too, where you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, uh, you guys are saying like you were hooked by the second or third entry or whenever. Like I was just right from the I think right from the first page, like I I had high hopes. I knew I loved her writing, but I was so on board right from the first moment from the descriptions of the house. I just, yeah, I was bought in immediately. And it, to Andrew's description of, uh, Piranesi himself, I think he's one of my favorite narrators of all time. The characters, like, he's just so delightful. He's so optimistic and cheerful and hardworking and just, he's fantastic and funny in his own way. But then I agree with everything you're saying. At the same time, at the end of it, I felt like I didn't really know him. Well, it's like I knew, I mean, I guess this is a spoiler section, so it's okay to say, but it's like, is this what he was before he went into the maze? That's funny because that is like, when I was making notes for today, Mm -hmm. I think that is my main question for the book. That's like the most interesting thing to me. Like, would Piranesi be happier if if the book had never happened? Mm -hmm. If he just lived in the house until he died, you know? Uh, Because so for those of you who are listening, to this without having read the book this is the biggest spoiler of all is that Piranesi over the course of the book unravels the mystery discovers that he's in another plane of existence uh, and makes his way back to the world that we would recognize as our own and kind of reclaims his real personality as well, like a person but that's the question right yeah it, well his real identity not so much yes. his real personality mm-hmm. yes. yeah because he still becomes like a third person when he mm-hmm. re-enters where he can have he can access some of the memory of Matthew who he is and he very much can like key into what Piranesi is thinking, but he seems to exist as a third person at that point. Yes. And Piranesi is obviously, like Andrew said, not his real name. That's just what the other calls him. And Dylan looked it up that like Piranesi is a joke because Piranesi was a Italian man who made maps, you said? He did like drawings of uh, labyrinth, of like pr- fictional prisons and stuff. Oh, there that you he go. Created. So the other was just being a jerk as the other does. As the other do. <laughs> oh, man. 
all, the characterization is so good too. Like you're yeah. saying, like Piranesi's great, but the others great. The the few other characters that are there, there's only I think two more characters that I can think of that are big, but each of them are so rich and interesting and like deliciously vile. I mm-hmm, think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Piranesi is so pure and innocent and lovely, and everyone else except for the policewoman at the end, yeah, <laughs> is a terrible person. Yeah. Couldn't you just tell the other was bad when he was in a suit in a in a maze? <laughs> Absolutely. Like, n- no good guy is like in a clean press suit in a maze. But sorry, Toby, you were I saying. I was going to say, it hit for me when he's like, oh, you need some shoes? Okay, I, I can get you shoes. I'm like, how do you have shoes? Yeah, I mean... I, I think right from the beginning, in even in the first scene we interact with the other, he's referenced as using his shining device. And oh, I was yeah, like, yeah. okay, that's got to be a phone. So there's, I think at that moment, I was like, he's from our world and this is a different world. Like, yeah, when, yeah. that's a question. So I have two questions for you. Mm-hmm. First question is, when did you kind of formulate your theory? I think we all figured it out, right? That he's in this alternate world. When did that happen for you in the story? And a question I don't understand that maybe you guys get, who collected the bones of all the people, did Piranesi do that and forget that he did it? What do you mean collected them all? So in the book, yeah. um, Piranesi often refers to the 15 people in the world, right. 13 of which are collections of bones yes. that he that he finds around the labyrinth that have been kind of collected. Sometimes they're tied together with seaweed. But Piranesi presents this to us as if he's just found them. But as far as we know, the only people in the maze are him Mm-hmm. the other who who is certainly not likely to collect all the bones and tie them together yeah and um what's his name poor ritter yeah poor poor james ritter and poor james ritter who appeared to have suffered greatly while he was in the labyrinth and i don't think he collected the bones so that's that was the outstanding big question for me is who did piranesi collect the bones and tie them all together and forget that he did it well i don't think that i mean maybe i got it wrong the there was only one set of bones that were tied together. I thought that was the one in like the box or whatever. Yeah. And the rest were skeletons. And there was one that was like behind the wall. But they all they were all treated as collected, right? Well, I think so. The biscuit, the biscuit box man had been like taken and, and cared for. The people in the alcove is like the group of a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. That one I took to be some of the disciples and like mm-hmm. people who worked with the like scholar character who discovered this area and like just sort of the casualties of time mm. that maybe Piranesi overlapped with at some point but I don't I think the idea is that Piranesi was in there alone from the from the beginning of his time okay but maybe some of the maintenance he did and then forgot about I think that, that could be because there is a moment where he moves them all to be away from a flood so yeah, it yeah. could be but my interpretation was like you said Andrew that these were the disciples or people that Lawrence the professor had murdered because he said Lawrence said at one point like I was in jail but they don't even know everything I've done Mm -hmm. but that some people he'd killed and others he like stuck in the labyrinth and effectively killed by time yeah that's what I thought but I don't know and that's what I like about the book is that it's not all completely clear yeah uh, much like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell um, that was actually something, um, Bailey, I think you'll be able to speak on this more than Andrew because you finished Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Mm-hmm. But I felt <laughs> I felt like uh, in Piranesi, we got more concrete answers to stuff. Yeah. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. So what did you feel about that? Because personally, I actually liked the, ambi- the deeper ambiguity of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell more than some of the more concrete answers we got here. See, that's a great question. And it came to my mind when I was thinking about uh, rating it. I mm-hmm. originally put it as a four star because ah, um, like I was me. like, I think I like Jonathan Strange better. And then I was Mm -hmm. thinking about it and I was like, well, you know what? This is kind of a perfectly succinct book mystery that ties everything up in 250 pages or whatever. And like, I don't have any critiques with it and I would recommend it to a million people. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's a five star for me. But I had that thought where it's kind of like, 
it feels lesser than because it's small and succinct and has all the answers. But at the same time, I admire that, that she was able to accomplish so much in so little pages. Yeah. And I'll say it doesn't, I mean, it has answers of a lot of the mechanics of it, but it doesn't have answers in terms of like how Piranesi stroke Matthew stroke this new consciousness is going to deal with the world. It doesn't mm-hmm. tie up the future in that way. Like it's not happily ever after. It's like, this is the new world. Because I had a similar thought to Bailey where I was, when I was going to rate it, I was like, deciding my number and I realized the only critiques I had was that it was in some ways like simple and I don't mean simple as in basic I mean simple as in like yeah it, it ties everything up in its in its sh- relatively short span and uh, it doesn't give you everything but it gives you a lot but I thought that was ultimately a pro because I was left with a bunch of questions but I also felt like I had been given a complete story so that that's why I came up to five mm. Yeah, yeah, fair. And, and no, it's weird that like for the mystery of the world, that's like, oh, yeah, and everything's kind of explained. But also there's still a lot unknown. Like, I really like the fact that in the book, we meet the two most knowledgeable experts on this world <laughs> of Lawrence and the other. And even they, you can tell they don't know everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This world exists. And there was a really good scene with Lawrence. Um, when he's talking to Pierre Nessie, and Pierre Nessie kind of like pitches some ideas about what this could be. And Lawrence says like, oh yeah, it could be that. And that kind of helped. I liked the fact that the other obviously knew more <laughs> than mm-hmm. Pierre Nessie. And it seemed like everyone knew more, but it seemed like nobody knew everything. I was going to say, I think it's the it's different. I think Pierre Nessie knows the most about yeah. the place in, ter- in terms of like he knows every room. Every he, statue. He yeah. knows how to get everywhere. And that's why, you know, the other keeps him there and meets with him because he can't stay there because by staying there, you lose your memory if that mm-hmm. wasn't clear. But so he knows the most, but at the same time, he knows the least because he doesn't understand he's in a separate world. Yeah. And Lawrence knows the place is dangerous. So what do you guys think? Do you think I mean, there's no way to answer this. Do you think the great and secret knowledge exists that he's searching for? So just to uh, sum it up, the other has ostensibly trapped Piranesi there. Um in order to serve as a guide and kind of experiment for him. And Piranesi was at once uh, before a scholar who was going to mm-hmm. be writing about Lawrence and his like crazy idea that he discovered another mm-hmm. world. And so he goes to visit the other one of his disciples and the other's like, Haha, that's so silly. Let's just, you know, try out this ritual and see what happens. <laughs> Why don't you walk through this chalk? Do, oh, just, do you have paper and you, pen you with you? You take good Great. notes, huh? Yeah. Why don't you write this out? <laughs> uh, but yeah, do you guys, what do you guys think? And there's no way to confirm it. Do you think the great and secret knowledge actually exists? In this world of Piranesi? I think no. Mm. I or, or if it does, it's not something that is accessible. I think Lawrence's theory is right. And I think the instinct that Piranesi keeps getting, which is to like abandon looking for it, is correct. And the other is like on a mission of folly. And the great and secret knowledge is the ability to like get the magic from the old gods. Is that right? I, as I understood it, it was, you know, like... Back in like pre-societal days, man had a more direct communication with nature. Mm -hmm. So direct, in fact, that you could talk to nature and be like, hey, I'd like to be a bird now. And nature would be like, you got it. Uh, (laughs) Good job, Toby. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So that was what I understood the great and secret knowledge to be. And I think it exists. I think that the existence of the house proves that Lawrence Allen Sayles' theory is correct right? That it's kind of a dumping ground for all this old belief or old magic. And so I think that, yeah, I think it exists. Or or at least it did exist at one time. Maybe it's gone now. I agree with you, Toby. That was my thought that I didn't believe it existed. And then I was like, but wait, but if this other thing is true, mm-hmm. then... But I think I'm in the middle where it's like, I think it exists, but I don't think they're going to be able to access it. Oh, yeah. I don't think they're going to be able to access it. Yeah. No, I, I agree with Toby. Lawrence did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a crazier conspiracy theory, though. Okay. That like... 
because I finished it a, little, a lot earlier, um, and I started going brag. back through the thing. Humble brag. And one of my theories is that, and now I'm going to sound like the other, is <laughs> that Piranesi found it at some point and forgot about it. Like found the, the knowledge? Found the knowledge. And that, because like there's some parts where he talks a lot about the rooms, especially the rooms with the two birds. And I'm wondering if the fact that he can extrapolate stuff from the statues and from the birds and everything, like that is yeah. kind Ooh. of his power. And like, so I was wondering, it's like, I, if you read it now with the knowledge that he's been around a lot longer and he's been doing this loop a lot of times, maybe there's some like remnants of the previous loops. I love that idea. I didn't think that. I thought it was more like he says like, like, what's your name? And he's like, I'm the child of the house. That mm-hmm. it was like he, like the house had kind of adopted him, but maybe that would be a way that the house adopted him by giving him the knowledge. I like that idea. Yeah. And I think, I think it bears it out. You already mentioned this, Dylan, but just to reiterate, reiterate he does communicate with nature in that yeah. he successfully interpolates a correct message from birth that is like helpful to him and yeah. true yeah because when he says like um the powers and everything like immortality eh, flight who cares yeah he doesn't want them but like he yeah. was talking about controlling minds and talking to animals and stuff it's like he kind of does something yeah. like that the birds are like hey storm's coming <laughs> storm's coming or he's just crazy <laughs> Um, I wanted to talk about some of our favorite moments from it mm. I just keep thinking about this scene where Piranesi is like He's getting ready to leave, and he's like, "I got to put all these shells back in my hair so I look dope." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts. What was some of your favorite parts? I really liked when he goes into the main vestibule. It's the first time we get a hint of like, that's how you get out to the outside world. Like, this is an important room, um, and like you even sort of hear people on the outside. He hears voices, but all he thinks is there are crisp packets on the on the ground yeah. and who's a sausage littering? roll wrapper Ugh. who's littering in, yeah. this, in this in this wonderful house <laughs> he doesn't even like dwell on the voices that much he's just like ah well <laughs> well i think that's a that's a theme throughout the book isn't it it's where like he's kind of conjured his own religion that kind of centers around the house and he's so he's fitting all the facts you know to fit his his religion I think one of my favorite moments or just like images is pretty early on. He describes a room in which the statues are gigantic human figures that are pushing themselves out of the wall. Mm. I don't know if you remember that, but like it's just, I mean, the descriptions of all the statues throughout are so, so great. And it's just like, that's one of the moments where I can just see this image of this giant room and these human figures straining to free themselves from the wall. And they're mysterious and you can hear the ocean below and you can, there's wisps of cloud coming down. Like, it's just so... Yeah. What did you think about the statues, Andrew? I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I really like the statues. A favorite one was the woman who's carrying a beehive. Mm. I like the description of that. He talks about having, she has like a bee on her eye. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know they're, they're all so cool. And I, just in general, I, I had like a little bit of trepidation. I had sort of an opposite reaction to Toby. When I read the first chapter, I was like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and I'm scared of how this is going to go. But then like within a few chapters, you're just so into this place because it, it's so simultaneously rich rich and detailed but like understandable because mm-hmm. we can imagine a big room that's flanked by these statues yeah. that has yeah. these statues around it but it's also so complete a world that it's it's kind of remarkable that she was able to make an understandable yet complete creation in so so few pages totally. that's that's such a great point because it's almost it's almost like a fractal right like the rules are so simple there's clouds on top there's nothing in the middle there's ocean on bottom mm-hmm. and every room is some combination of giant thing with statues and that's as, that's how simple it is to understand but then you can go so minute to like all the details of the statue and it's as satisfying and mysterious all the way down i would be really curious to know like where she got the idea like if mm-hmm. if because it um, it feels dreamlike almost mm-hmm. it also feels like you know we're in this world of covid 
if you were to make the movie of this, you could shoot it right now. Because yeah, inside some yeah, soundstage. Yeah, exactly. With one actor. Just lock Chiwetel Ejiofor in a soundstage and call it a day. There you go. <laughs> uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor does the audiobook on Audible, just so everyone knows. We were talking about buying it and how it's like seems silly to spend $30 on a book. The book itself is mm. gorgeous. So good. Chef's kiss. It's like beautifully constructed. Um, and Andrew pointed it out too. It has it has one of my favorite things, which is like a secret naked part. What would you call this? What? The without without the jacket, the book is as interesting of the as the mm-hmm. book is with with the jacket on because there's a design element that's really cool on the actual printed book. There is embossing. There is gilding. There is a, a giant Corinthian column. <laughs> there is about 20 blank pages at the back. Yes, that bothered me. I don't me. know why. Because they did have stuff written on them. Um, this is a, might be more of a question for Bailey, but what do you think of the other as an antagonist as opposed to the man with the thistle down hair? Because both of them, I think, are people who's kind of they don't care about other people and the violence and harm they do to other people is kind of incidental. Yes, I think that's accurate. But I think without spoiling Jonathan Strange, I think the other ends up being more of a fool. Yes, um, Whereas the man with the thistle down hair, I think, is consistently like scary. And malevolent, yeah. yeah. By the way, I think that guy's a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think it's all going to work out? Two chunks into the book and uh, he's been doing some naughty stuff. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't spoil it for... Yeah. No, but I... But I Agree. I think that there's a lot of parallel themes or like maybe character tropes. But other than that, I don't think there's a lot of connection between this book and Jonathan Strange. Like, I guess, like the idea of magic and the real world combining. Other worlds. Other worlds. Yeah. Yeah. There's like the fairy world and Jonathan Strange, Mr. Norrell, and this is another world. Yeah. But yeah, I know. I agree. It, it feels it feels concretely Susanna Clark style, but very different at the same time. Yeah. Andrew, what did you? Yeah, I was thrilled it was in the in modern times. I mm. mean, obviously it's out of time in many ways, but like I, I was really excited to go from reading Jonathan Strange like one day, literally halfway through it, to jumping into this world. I was excited that it was such a different time time zone. Like I think her work's often described as like an alternative history, mm-hmm. and I was excited to get an alternative history that was like incredibly different from the early 1800s that we get in uh, in Jonathan Strange. Yeah, the other status changes so much throughout mm. the book. Yeah, because when you first meets the other you think it's like oh they're in the same boat the other is also trying to figure out how to get out of here mm-hmm. and Ooh, then i don't know i think even from the first meeting i was like from the first meeting i thought that the other thought he knew what he was doing okay, but he's yeah. also like trapped, trapped. Okay. yeah yeah and like you because you're reading through baronessi like <laughs> oh i trust whatever the other says and then he meets lawrence the best guy in the whole wide world <laughs> <laughs> um and lawrence just says like a throwaway line where it's like oh yeah the other i forgot his name but but the cutterly uh, uh cutterly he's an idiot And like the next scene you have with him, you realize like, oh, he is really, he's a fool. He's like really dumb. He's paranoid. He doesn't know how any of this works. Yeah. And it's, it was, she did such a good job with dialogue and character and pacing that the other was able to be five different types of like scary and a bad guy. And then a fool. Yeah, then a fool. By the very end, he is just a normal guy. But like, it was such a weird ride with him. Yeah. And I really liked 16, too. I I loved, Mm -hmm. I was, I just admired her patience when she's like, all right, here's the thing. You're not Piranesi, you're Matthew. I'm going to take you home to your family. And he's like, nah. She's like, 
okay, I'll give you some time. I'm like, you're just going to let him stay there? Okay, yeah, which was the perfect thing which to do. Right to, yeah. You have reminded me, though, one of my favorite things about the book that it doesn't even bother trying to address is Piranesi's like, well, I knew that 16 was in this room because of this specific gorgeous perfume. It wasn't the specific gorgeous perfume that the other wears or the specific gorgeous perfume that uh, the prophet wears. It's just hilarious that like in this world, everyone has like an amazing perfume. Of course, the fancy. Did you guys want to try? I mean, I would I would buy a Piranesi cologne. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not a Piranesi one, because that would be like seaweed. I was going to say, just like sea. Bird poo. Piranesi for men. Get lost in it. <laughs> Toby, what kept you from making this a five star? Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think I alluded to it earlier. There are just some points in this one where things in Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell are so beautifully vague, and it feels vague intentionally. And there's some, you get more concrete answers here, but it just felt strained to me sometimes. I really didn't want to know some of the things that I ended up knowing. Um, I still loved it so, so much. And it is on a sliding scale, like compared to most books, this is a five. But yeah, I, I just, I liked Jonathan Strange, Mr. Norrell more. So you, yeah. you, you just kept, couldn't help but compare it to Jonathan Strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is like very quote unquote unprofessional <laughs> um, as a reviewer, but I love Piranesi and I don't really like Matthew Rose Sorensen. And I don't really like the, like it bums me out that he ends up back in the real world. But he, but he visits the house as much as he wants. But he's to me, I guess this is a question. If you guys feel this the same way to me, he seems much more unhappy at the end of the book. I had that thought too. And then part of me was like, maybe he shouldn't leave. But then I thought because of the magic involved, maybe if he stays away for a long time, his memory will come back. I I guess I just flip it a different way. I don't care that he's happy. I think it's a a more powerful story that (laughs) he sacrifices something to like change his life. Yeah. Yeah. It's for his family. The book has changed him. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's why I say it's unprofessional because at that point, like, like, I'm not criticizing story structure or the power of the story. I'm just like, personally, I'm like, I want him to be happy. That was part of what confirmed it as a five for me. While it wraps everything up, it, it isn't like satisfying in the traditional sense of like happily ever after. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So this transitions to my final question for the group. Given the opportunity, would you go to the house? What, visit or live forever? Visit. Yeah. What it's it, dangerous, but yeah. I would, but I, yeah, I'd, I'd want to visit with the potential that you could get lost and stuck. I'll bring my wife with me, so at least we get <laughs> lost together forever. <laughs> what about you, Andrew? Um, I would go if I could have access to sausage rolls like um, James Ritter did. <laughs> so yeah, a cruel, a cruel overlord to bring you junk food. <laughs> Well, I mean, obviously, in this version, the overlord would not be cruel. Yeah, no, I would go, but um, I'd be very worried. What about you, Bale? Um, I think I'm going to say I think I wouldn't go because I think I would be so tempted to keep exploring that it would just open up the danger. And I have a new baby, so I should probably take care of her. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Dill? I would get lost so fast. Yeah, (laughs) you're the last person we want to send to the labyrinth. Yeah, oh my God. (laughs) I'd get killed on room two. (laughs) A statue fell over on the end of book. (laughs) All right, well, this has been our Purina episode. Yes. Extravaganza. As we said, four or five stars. This is awesome. <laughs> You've already heard it all. You've already heard it all. Read it. Um, give it to your friends. And then read Jonathan Strange if you haven't. And I will say this is a book that while we have ruthlessly and, and beautifully spoiled this book, I think it will hold up upon second read. I think it, you can enjoy it 
a la some of the great fantasy novels where it's still fun to be in this world. So it'll still be fun to read, even if you know the broad strokes of what's going on. Yes. And I think it would be an awesome book club book. Like if it's your turn in book club to pick a book and you're like, what do I pick? Pick this one. It's quick. It's fast. And there's a lot to talk about. Uh, In two weeks on the podcast, Andrew's reading Luster by Raven Leilani, and I'm reading Ghost by Jason Reynolds. And then two weeks later, Toby's reading The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin. Very excited. Okay. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast and on Instagram at the To Read List podcast. If you like what you heard, uh, please, in whatever podcatcher you use, um, rate us five stars. And if you have a moment, write us a little review. It sounds silly, but they do help more people find the podcast and increase our sort of natural reach and help us get out of the labyrinth we're trapped in. Yeah. And I would say if you really like the podcast, take your yellow chalk and in big block letters, write down uh, a, scre- a creepy, mysterious message outside your best friend's house telling them to listen to the to read list. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. 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 Get in there, Nancy. <laughs>